The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 119. A sequel to the 80s classic, Weird Science. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. So, what do you little podcasting maniacs want to do first? That's right, it's time to boot up your computer and strap a bra on your head because this is the Sequel Quest Podcast. The ongoing experiment in fake movie fun where we pitch prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Allow me to introduce you to the weird crew for tonight's show. First up, it's the man who isn't going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't, you know. He doesn't stand for baloney. It's Jeff. That does sound like me, actually. Yep, yep. Next, it's the man who's still trying to figure out how to get that nuclear missile out of his bedroom. It's Jeremy. Maybe? <laughs> Less don't accurate, but don't no track this, NSA. <laughs> <laughs> and letting you know, we've got a real party planned for you tonight. Chips, dips, chains, whips. I'm Adam. And returning to the show once again, an old friend of the podcast, my lifelong pal. You may remember his previous appearances to talk sequels to The Mask, Super Mario Brothers the movie, and Shot of the Dead. The man who's got a girlfriend that must be into Malacca's. Hey there, Colin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hello, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you back. So, if we're going to get weird, we get Colin, I guess. It's true. Weird <laughs> science, baby. All right, so, Jeremy, why don't you give it to the people who have never gotten into the world of weird science. Tell them who's in it. Tell them what it's all about. All right, all you folks who are younger than millennials, this is 1985's Weird Science, starring the gorgeous Kelly LeBrock, Anthony Michael Hall, Ian Mitchell Smith, and Bill Paxton, written and directed by our 80s favorite John Hughes. When two high school losers, Gary and Wyatt, create a woman named Lisa using their magic computers, they embark on a wild adventure filled with seedy nightclubs, mutant biker gangs, out-of-control house parties, and more on their way to finally gaining the self-confidence and love that they desire in this wacky team comedy. All right. Yep. So, you know, that whole idea of the, the teen identity of the 80s was kind of forged, it felt like, by John Hughes at this point in his career. You know, he'd already written and directed 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club, which were huge hits. And it was on the set of The Breakfast Club that Anthony Michael Hall, who had been in those two previous films, was approached by John Hughes, who said, hey, I just wrote 30 pages of a new script and you're going to star in it. It's called Weird Science. <laughs> He's just on the set of this movie. He's like, yeah, you got the next one lined up. Don't worry about it. That skinny blonde kid, he worked a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the way you want to do it, right? No, it really is. 
Some people have actually said that they feel like Anthony Michael Hall is John Hughes's avatar in his Shermer <laughs> High School universe, you know? But Weird Science is a major departure, right, from his previous works that were more earnest about the angst of every teenager's high school experience. I mean, we've even covered The Breakfast Club, tried to create a sequel to that. That was maybe a little less earnest, but we did what we could with it. <laughs> but Weird Science is a much more cartoonish film, which is fitting since the name Weird Science actually comes from an old science fiction comic book published by EC Comics in the 50s. And, and these stories were usually tales of aliens visitors and they would visit the earth or you know earthmen would go to their planet and there was an ironic moral lesson at the end but but they were never as popular as tales from the crypt and the other horror comic books that ec comics was producing but it was still lasted i think like 53 issues or something like that but the name weird science not on the tip of most people's tongues when you talk about comics or when you refer to a john hughes film of note although it, it takes place in that same Shermer high school universe versus The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, Anthony Michael Hall, he's dealing with multiple personalities, I guess, is what he's doing in this world, because he's always somebody different, but he's always there. So let me ask you guys, then, when did you first become aware of or watch Weird Science? Jeremy? Probably mid to late teens, just catching up on all these classics from the 80s, I guess. I definitely did not watch the TV series by the same name. Yeah, so for those who don't know, there was a TV series starring Vanessa Angel as Lisa, which oh, wow. it was very much based on this film, but it ran from 1994 to 1998. What? Yeah, five seasons. It's crazy. It was on the USA Network and then the Sci-Fi Channel, and yeah, so that, I mean, it's it definitely had a legacy, but it almost, there's a possibility that a lot more people knew the television series than knew the movie itself. But what about you, Colin? Where did you catch up to weird science so i was actually aware of this tv series i was not aware that it ran that long that's actually right that's incredible to me because that you see you see that and you're like oh weird science that's gonna be like you know four episodes at best and, and it just catches on but that's the other thing is that it, it really works in that way like as a as a story of the week kind of a show idea is like we could do anything with computer we just put something in the computer and then that makes magic happen and it just makes you know whatever so i guess it it lends itself to that but i mean to answer your question i mean the movie came out you know a year after i was born so i wasn't allowed to see it for most of my childhood <laughs> you know what i mean it was like ooh, this is too risque it's too sexy you know for a young young lad so i saw it I, I think i saw it more on television and stuff as i grew up i remember having access to hbo and i was really really little so i would i would catch you know 80s movies like this i i definitely can tell you that this was the john hughes movie i was more familiar with than the other ones yeah this is the one that i was like oh yeah weird science and everyone's like breakfast club i'm like oh no i <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jeff? Actually, I have a pretty similar experience. Like, uh, I was very familiar with the TV show. I feel like I watched it a bunch, but it was the same thing. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we weren't allowed to watch this movie in my household. Mostly, if anything, just because of the, the cover on the VHS box that, that looked very scandalous. And she was always very, <laughs> you know, scantily clad and with a lot of cleavage showing. And so... Yeah, I, I I don't really remember the first time I actually watched
watched the entire movie like straight through. For some reason, though, I feel like I was always aware of the movie because of the show. But maybe even when we started talking about doing this one, I'm not sure I associate it with the same John Hughes. Like these are all in his body of work. I mean, as we've said many a times on this show, John Hughes blows my mind that it's just like I can think of Breakfast Club and I can think of 16 Candles. But then when you're going to throw in like Home Alone or like National Lampoon Vacation or like this, like his body of work is it's quite diverse, I think. Yeah, between the writing and then occasionally directing and whatever yeah. he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he was cranking out movies, you know, during his relatively short life, unfortunately. And so I'm in the same boat with you guys. Definitely saw this as a TV series first. And then I would say about 10 to 12 years ago as a Netflix rental. Yeah, before the streaming days. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was like, I gotta finally check out and see what this movie was about. And it to me, it's amazingly memorable. Like every set piece of this film, you're like, oh yeah, and then this happens, and then this happens. And so it really stood out to me once I decided to check it out. But I think it's worth mentioning in comparison to the film we discussed last time around, where we talked about Biodome. We had Bud <laughs> and Doyle, uh. portrayed by Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin, as an idiot couple of comedians, if you want to call it that. So my question <laughs> is, in this film, we have Gary and Wyatt. So how do you feel they work as a comedic buddy duo? Why would you say, if you would, that their chemistry works and Bud and Doyle, not so much? Jeff? One, I feel like there's chemistry. I did not feel like there was chemistry with Stephen Baldwin and uh, Polly Shore. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that they work that well together. Two, I feel like, like we talked about with the last episode, Polly Shore is a character in himself. Like he already is a defined character and he is, doesn't change movie to movie. So it's up to Stephen Baldwin to kind of fit along with that, but he was kind of doing his own thing. Whereas in this, I mean, Anthony Michael Hall kind of developed a character, but I didn't feel like it was as rigid. Like the character here, I think is similar to the character in 16 Candles, but different enough to work with his foil. The funny thing about them is that they don't ride with me on this, that they don't stand out as like a comedic buddy duo, like Bill and Ted, for example, you know, they're, they're caricatures. They're like really funny and like, you know, very memorable. But these two, I think are interested in that they're just kids. Like that's, that's really their whole thing is they're just kids. They're not ready to handle babes and, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll yet. They're, that's what the, I think part of the message of the movie is, is that they they want this lifestyle. And then when the lifestyle's dumped on them, they're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And I, I, they're all realizing that they're just, they're just kids and they can't handle this world yet. And that's what makes because they're they're a different kind of loser right like at the beginning of the movie they're like oh man i i just want babes i just want to party party all the time like they just don't really have any friends yeah they they literally have just each other as far as we know and i think that's interesting because obviously based on the story we told anthony michael hall was the focal point in terms of comedy right like he's the quick wit right. and the ridiculous one of you ladies man like jeff said that's kind of what his persona was in those early days of his career but then this ian mitchell smith guy he really grounds the film because he's playing wyatt as this sweet insecure guy and even though he looks like matthew broderick as a celebrity look-alike you know <laughs> not quite there he's just one tick off i think he's great in the role and uh, he even has said in interviews he's like i was more of a dramatic actor so being put into right. a comedic film and being on the set was a little off-putting but i tried to hold my own but 
But ultimately, when I say in comparison to Biodome, it is that from moment one, Hughes makes Gary and Wyatt pathetic and sympathetic all at once, so they are literal underdogs that we are rooting for, which was a concept that was completely missed by Biodome, where they just made them raunchy jerks that we hated. Ultimately, that was the downfall of Biodome, that giving us lead characters that we could care about. Well, in addition to comparing it to something like Biodome, comparing this to something like Breakfast Club, which had just come out, these are more caricatures in a lot of ways where it's kind of like you like you were saying uh, Colin that it's just like from my experience growing up in the 80s and in the 90s like this was not real life like no one yeah. actually thought these things and behaved this or, or at least behaved this way and, but that's what movies did because movies right. were not ultra realistic that was not the John Hughes style I mean, like, that was the interesting thing, even with Breakfast Club, is that I think he was presenting these caricatures and these pictures that had elements of truth to them. But as far as, like, were they really, like, this is just a person from real life that we've just thrown up on screen? No, they're, again, more caricaturish to kind of bring out some of those qualities that they wanted to talk about, I think. Yeah. And speaking of that cartoony nature, though, I have a burning question to see if you guys think you can answer <laughs> this. But what is up with Wyatt having two twin beds in his room? Yeah. How often is Gary sleeping over that his parents just decided <laughs> to give the best friend his own bed? I thought of that tonight, actually, when I was watching the movie. And I have a theory. And, and I think it used to be the older Chet? brothers, Chet's old bed. Oh. And it, they never, like, they used to sleep in the same room right. together before he got too old and went off to military school. And Genius. Look at you. Doing the work for John Hughes. <laughs> John Hughes apologist. I'm a weird science going to explain how that computer makes everything work, too. Like, <laughs> no, we can't wait. Good luck. <laughs> but I'm curious, as we speak about Chet, as we speak about Bill Paxton, so see, I'm the only one here on the panel with an older brother, but my older brother was more of a Wyatt. You know, he wasn't a Chet. He was a computer nerd. You know, he had his core group of friends, a nice guy, outgoing guy, but he definitely was not like a super ultra macho. Nobody in my family is. So like, he didn't <laughs> pick on me. I mean, granted, I, I mean, he was 17 when I was born, so that would have been a little unfair. <laughs> but yeah, so I just think that persona that Bill Paxton brings to Chet, it's, it's so intense and at the yeah. same time so hilarious. Like he does, he, he, he writes that line perfectly. It's like, yeah, you hate him, but man, he's the most entertaining kind of jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the over-the-top nature of him that really sells his character. Well, it's funny, too, like with Bill Paxton's career, is that I feel it's almost like he had two careers, because he's got this character that he played so well and so memorably. I mean, like this and then later in Aliens, where he's right. a very similar sort of a, like, game over, man! Like, the, <laughs> he's just perfect at it. And then later when he shifts into kind of the dad mentor type role, I think he excelled at that too, but it's, it's, they're very different. God rest his soul. Yeah. Ah, Bill Paxton, RIP yeah. for sure. Yeah. He, he went back into the villain role there towards the end on mm -hmm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. 
it's almost weird that that's a part of this movie in a way because it's not directly related to this journey that you know Wyatt and Gary are on with Lisa and yet it provides so much comedy that if it wasn't in the film you would miss it you know like because again it just it establishes Wyatt as a sympathetic character and you know Gary did a certain respect as well because he's being picked on just as much you know it might as well be his brother but speaking of Lisa so yes Kelly LeBrock so what's very interesting about her is she was a model and I did not know this until researching this film but she was the spokesmodel for Pantene Pro-V shampoo and that famous line don't hate me because I'm beautiful she's the one who said that in the commercial and I thought that was like a 90s supermodel thing I had no idea that that was way back in the 80s and she had only been in one movie prior to this which was the year before it was called Lady in Red with Gene Wilder I watched some clips from it it's just like some old screenwriter who's a little repressed saying like what if a hot (laughs) girl liked me you know I'm just a 50 year old dude what if she thought I was hot (laughs) yeah I don't know. It's not a great film. And the character is very different than Lisa in this film. You would think, oh, she's just a model. So she just probably just comes in and looks pretty. And that's not the case either. I mean, she definitely is able to to create a character. (laughs) Interestingly enough, they had actually hired a different actress because Kelly LeBrock turned it down. So they hired this other model named Kelly Emberg, who was an American model for cover girl makeup. And they had her on set for like three weeks and they're like oh this just isn't working and so she got the you know the original marty mcfly treatment where they're like we just gotta let you go (laughs) yeah she she moved on and then they called kelly brock they're like kelly we need you she's like okay i think i'll do it (laughs) so funny interestingly enough she got married to steven seagal and it was yes. in a yeah, movie with him called Hard to Kill. And I was like, what? Who marries Steven Seagal? Come on. <laughs> she does. Back in the day, we didn't know better, I guess. <laughs> But how do you guys feel about this role of Lisa? Because, Jeff, you you know mentioned how she was presented on the VHS cover and most pictures that you see of her. What was your thought as to her actual performance? My wife Judy and I were talking about, is this still an okay movie, like, in today's day and age? And I don't know that the answer is yes. Like, this is a moderately inappropriate movie with the, the treatment of her. And, and the nice thing is, is that they could have gone much worse, I think, to make her basically you know a genie a slave but they didn't they gave her a lot more personality a lot more faculty and stuff like that and so that part i do appreciate as far as like her as an actress uh, e- uh, 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 uh there's a it's a little shaky at times i think a lot of her lines come out a little bit stiff but for the 80s again i appreciate that they did give her a lot more a lot more faculty than i would have i would have expected in an 80s movie with this premise what do you think? I was thinking about that as like, because when I was, even when I was younger watching the movie, it looked like they were like, you know, 15, 16, and she was like, pushing yeah. 40 like, like, she <laughs> right. looked like, because it, it also is a, an testament to the, um, to the uh, contoured 80s makeup. Like, she looks like one of those mm. 80s girl, like, paintings, you know what I'm talking about, with, like, the loose color scheme with the very hard contoured cheeks that make her look, you know, almost like you could cut yourself on her face. I always thought it was so weird how much older she looked. Like, she was supposed to be 23, I think. Oh, really? Was the wow. age they say she was in the movie. But she looks so much older because of the makeup and everything and, and I guess what 
we thought aesthetically was sexy back then. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I agree. She's a little stiff. And I think that might be the point that she has this weird otherworldly nature about her. Like she's mm-hmm. not from here. She kind of acts like she's like this supreme being almost like, like an alien or a god or something that, you know, is coming to observe us. And she has that kind of air about her. And of course, you know, she's a magical science fairy girl thing that <laughs> came out of the computer and, and who apparently has the power to control computer magic herself when she's outside of the computer, which is also crazy. But I think she comes off just a little stiff. Like if you want to like go down into hardcore acting, but I, I'm still not sure if that was also the director telling her, no, like you're not a human being, like be a little mm. bit off, you know, be a little bit different, <laughs> you know, sort of a thing. So I don't know. That's my take on that. Jeremy, you going to nominate her for a Golden Globe? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a Spike TV award at some point, but... All right, well, here is my diatribe, guys. So, in preparation for the show, I bought the Blu-ray, and I've watched it three or four times over the last two weeks. And as I studied her performance, you know, there is the old acting adage that says acting is reacting, right? And listening and what is going on in your relationship with the other actors in the scene. And if you watch every scene that she is in, her facial expressions and the way she is reacting to Gary and Wyatt being so uptight, the way that she is just having a great time with what's going on around her, you just see this electricity coming off of her and you see there is something going on in her mind the whole time. And I think, unfortunately, that there is a misconception about this film and what type of movie it really is. That it's some like wild teenage boy sex comedy, it's Porky's or it's Zapped or whatever it is, you know, but it it has so much more heart to it than those types of films. And there's no actual sex in this movie. Yeah. All the iconography that has endured is Kelly LeBrock in sexy outfits. You know, if you search the movie, that's what will come up in the Google search. But those are very small moments in the film. She is very attractive but to me that is a hundred percent due to her personality and the way the character is written because if you look at it it's like yes these two horny immature boys may have created her initially for their own personal pleasure but aside from that shower scene where they are clearly in over their heads i think they had zero idea how to deal with a woman as intelligent and confident as they made lisa and that i believe is 100 percent intentional she quickly becomes a friend instead of just eye candy for them. And I could still see the argument being made that, you know, in the film, her only purpose is to be this life coach for Gary and Wyatt. She was programmed that way, which removes her autonomous desires from the equation. But I felt like the film moves her beyond that original intent of her creation very quickly. And I mean, even when she kisses Wyatt, for example, that is more her choice. She initiates it. She's using it as a teaching tool for him. You know, at least Lisa, the character, is in complete control of this story. I mean, it's her plan to guide Gary and Wyatt to the next stage of their lives with respect for themselves, and then ultimately the women they end up in a relationship with. It's a much different way than they were perceiving women at the beginning of the film. And to me, in the end, like, Kelly LeBrock is absolutely hilarious. Like, she is so fun to watch in this movie, and I feel there are very few female roles, like Jeff was saying, designed at that time in the 80s to 
to give a character that much to work with. And her sexuality is just one piece of the character. And I think it's sad that that's all she's remembered for in the pop culture, you know, is just those few moments where she was posing. But she does so much more with her dialogue and, you know, the experiences that she gets to bring them through. I just, I find her fantastic. And that is that. <laughs> End of line. <laughs> no, but she is funny. You're, you're right. I think she is funny. And I don't know if I'm saying, like, I'm not saying she's terrible, because I definitely caught the moments that you're talking about. I just wasn't saying, like, she was, she wasn't, like, screaming off the screen for me, you know, like, in terms of just standing out. But I, I did enjoy her performance to a degree. And I like her, like you said, like, some of the moments that where she's just reacting to other people are actually really entertaining. Well, speaking of the moments in the film, I'm curious for you guys, what were some of the most entertaining scenes or bits of dialogue like when you have gone back to this movie or when you think about the movie what tends to stand out for you most what about you jeff for some reason and like it's not not in a good way but i <laughs> i literally cannot get the image of bill paxton as the blob thing out of my mind like ever like <laughs> even as i was kind of like, oh even as i was like reviewing it there was something about that it's it's along the lines of Spaceballs pizza the hut where yeah. it yes. just it makes me so uncomfortable and it's just like, oh, like it, it almost makes me not want to watch the movie. It's that. Yeah. <laughs> well, to me like that pizza, the hut is more disgusting because he is edible and he gets eaten on screen a little bit, you know, like <laughs> that's disgusting. Me. This one, I'm just like, he's a pile of crap. I would never go near him. I'm not worried. But that's the difference. It's, it's, for me, I don't care about the fact that he, like, eats off a pepperoni. Like, that doesn't... It's the cheese that's dripping off. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It's the noise that his body is making. Oh, stop! Stop! <laughs> oh, that's great. But you're right. It's constant. It doesn't... St it's just whenever he's on... There's all these nasty noises that accompany him. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? I mean, there's the seedy underground club or whatever that mm -hmm. they go to that's kind of iconic where he's acting like a jerk. Anthony and Michael Hall is. And speaking to that, Jeremy, so I will admit that, the, you know, Jeff, you mentioned this is a problematic film in the 21st century. I don't think it's the sexual politics of this film that are the main issue. To me, it is all that nightclub scene where, you know, Gary gets drunk and he starts doing a stereotypical impression of a, yep. a strung out black jazz musician. And, you know, yeah. he's just, yeah. and you're just like, oh, Okay. Adam, I was so hoping we were going to cover this because I wanted to talk about it so bad. And I'm like, oh, do we, can I talk about this? Because, like, it's so offensive. He's really going for it. But I think it was meant to be an all in good fun. But that, that scene would so not fly. Like, I don't even think nowadays, I think within the last, you know, 20 years or so, that scene wouldn't have flown. Well, it was something weird in these 80s teen adventure films because Adventures in Babysitting has a very similar scene where they go to this blues club they have to sing the blues to get out all right. this stuff it was just something where they kept putting white kids from the suburbs in a situation where they you know seemingly did not fit in did not belong but it just right. it does not feel good when you watch it and i feel like if you cut out that whole sequence you lose nothing in the movie's right. overall story it's he goes there he takes a drink they cut to that exterior shot then cut 
to the end where he falls over on the table and they bring him out of the club. That's what right. you needed to get from it. Because it's also offensive to women. I mean, again, this is the thing. Like, there is an excessive use of the B word aimed at yeah, women yeah. in this film. Like, that's very upsetting as well. That's just, like, flying around all over the place. And so, yeah, like, but it mo- it's so... Uh, it's so concentrated in that particular scene where I'm just like, guys, let's just, let's get rid of this. And the rest of the movie is mostly okay for consumption. The other weird part is like, who is the adult man, the bartender guy? Who Who is this guy that gets like visibly angry that the underage child will not accept his bourbon? Oh, like, he's bitch. Like, he, he's like, no thanks. And he's like, Arr! like, like he gets all like mad and like pushes the drink. It's like, wow, dude. Like, what I love you? that he comes back and he's the bartender at their house party yes which is also weird which is also <laughs> just out of nowhere bitch is back okay <laughs> but what about for you colin is there a particular scene that stands out as entertaining and not offensive um yes but one of the parts you mentioned is part of the scene but um even as a child like this has stuck with me forever about this movie and was one of the most memorable parts about the whole movie to me is when lisa somehow uses computer power to summon evil road warriors to just show up <laughs> and they all just the way they just materialize that that pan up the guy with the metal face like the pan up his leg like to the motorcycle to creepy scary half robot cyborg face and he's like Ugh. he like looks around and i'm like what is happening like 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 the movie suddenly changes gears at that point and you're like wait what and then they start riding motorcycles through a house and then like the leader comes in and he's got this whole you know special shotgun and everything and i'm like what like it's so weirdly high concept when it enters the movie that i was just like wait what what comic is this like what is this like where did this this very specific idea for these very specific goons like to just show up it's, and i get yes. why it's there like, yeah. I, like i to- totally 100 get why you know she's trying to get some thugs to rustle things up to like teach them a lesson so the theory on that is that like the one main biker dude he is the guy from a road warrior so is the theory really? is, well, it's not the same actor, but it's the same paint job. It's the same. same no, no, it is, no right? Jeremy, it is the same actor. Oh, it is. That is Vernon okay. Wells. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought kidding. it was different. I saw a side by side and it didn't look quite right. So that is the thought that he was pulled from Road Warrior as though that is a reference from our two protagonists minds that that's a movie that they watch frequently uh, no yeah um, and then the other weird looking dude and the theory is yeah he's yes. re- reviving one of his characters from another movie as the well the hills have eyes yeah really that okay. i know him best from the guyver was he was he like the, the main guyver? henchman yeah oh my gosh he is in a lot of stuff now i will say for me the the scene for some reason that just cracks me up so much is lisa's confrontation with gary's parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she's just like she shows up like this wild woman who's corrupting their son you know and i just love her her whole attitude throughout that scene and she's just like she's not taking anything they're saying seriously and especially when the dad just gets up in her face he's like lady you better get out of here and she's poking her finger in his chest and she's like don't threaten me al you're out of shape i'll kick you 
<laughs> she's looking so tough, but she's so wispy. You know, like she's not got a lot to her, but she's got all the attitude, and it just sends me into hysterics. Like, obviously, I quoted her up top as well from that scene. It's just, it's a very, very fun bit of dialogue as well, just how it all escalates. He's just like mortified. He can't handle it. I think that that is a, a real, just strong scene in terms of comedy and the way the parents, like, really, all the authority figures, I guess you would call them, in this film. The, you know, just the side characters are really hilarious, especially the grandparents. Their whole justification that there's nothing more important to a teenage boy than his grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> when this film has done everything to prove otherwise to us. <laughs> that uh, they're, when they're all frozen in the pantry, that's pretty fantastic. Yes. But what about for you guys? Are there any other cameos or memorable faces for you? There's probably one in particular for Jeremy. Well, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a small role is the bully Ian, who interestingly enough would go on with Anthony Michael Hall to be the youngest cast members ever on Saturday Night Live during their disastrous 1985 to 1986 season. Yeah. <laughs> and Joan Cusack from the, the John Hughes universe was also in the cast with them. So that was just a real experimental see, Well, actually, you know what? And so was Randy Quaid. So technically, if you count the vacation films, I mean, they were just pluck it out of everybody John Hughes had written for. But yeah, Anthony Michael Hall was only 17 when he got to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live. I think Robert Downey Jr. was like 20 at the time, but still. And they were super immature. I've seen clips of their appearances on that show, and it's nothing to be proud of. You know, I don't wow. think it's anything they point to because they're literally like going on Weekend Update and doing just fart noises and doing nothing. <laughs> just sitting there making fart noises and laughing. And people are just like, what is happening? Oh my god. <laughs> what has Saturday Night Live become? But also, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s partner in crime in this is Robert Rustler, and he is also kind of a, a classic 80s jerk as well, or just, he, he worked a lot during this period in teen films. Like, I know from A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, he plays Grady, who is the main kid's first, his his rival, and they hate each other, and then suddenly they become best friends. It's a really strange relationship they have there. But yeah, so he, he was always around as well. He said actually Robert Downey Jr. took him from the set of Weird Science and took him to the audition for A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. But is there anything else that you guys feel like is worth mentioning from the film that we haven't covered? I was going to say we hit the big points. The ones I wanted to talk about, to be honest. <laughs> the last thing I would just say is that although this has that classic 80s PG-13 movie, which features a lot of the S-word and yeah. a lot of nudity on screen, you know, and you're just like, huh? You know, I mean, there's like Playboys. There's one point there's a joke about a woman getting sucked out of the house, which I love the whole gag of the furniture <laughs> and everything flying out into the yard. Like, how did they do that? <laughs> So there's just, there's a lot of that going on, but I still think that at its core, the concept and the, you know, the heart of this film makes it something that is special and it, it helps you to excuse some of the content that you might be like, oh, okay, well, does that hold up? Does it not? But like, ultimately, these are good guys and they have a guru, you know, who is guiding them to this next stage of their life who is equally charismatic, but equally she gets to be sympathetic as well. And there's that one point where 
where Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Ressler are trying to negotiate trading their girlfriends yep. for Lisa, which is very problematic. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is just like, you know, it's just it was just tomfoolery. <laughs> they're trying to be so mature about it, but they're just being terrible. But like, but they say, no, we would just we can't do that. There's a lot of conversations where they're talking about Lisa. They talk about, no, we love her, but like a sister. There is some sort of emotional relationship there that I feel develops throughout the film. And I think that is a, a great strength of this movie. But that being the case, you know, all these years later, we got five seasons of a television show. There have been rumors of a weird science sequel but really more of a reboot and so that's been rumored for quite a few years it just never came together but i know that ian michael smith said that he was talking to a prominent screenwriter in hollywood who was attached to the project at one point i believe actually it was adam goldberg from the goldbergs and he said that like the idea they were working with was it would be gary and wyatt's daughters now in the present day and they create a guy and it's channing tatum I was just like, no! Yeah. (laughs) Our mortal enemy. But of course, in the wake of the 21 Jump Street films, it has to be Channing Tatum, right? Uh, My wife would very much enjoy seeing that version of Weird Science. But then it puts a mission in front of us, gentlemen. Yes, can we put a stop to the Channing Tatum Weird Science by presenting a better sequel idea, perhaps a reboot concept that would get Hollywood's interest and give us the Weird Science film that we would enjoy seeing? So, Jeff... Why don't you tell us what weird idea you've got? I did not do it that way. So (laughs) it's going to be more of the same, unfortunately. So mine would be Weird Science 2, Back to School. Was it called Shermer High? Is that the name of their high school? That's right. Yep. It is. So anyway, so it's present day in Shermer High, and there are two students, Lem and Charles. My view is that your first part of the movie, you're getting to meet them and that they are more realistic nerds so not the ones that everyone's like oh they're just like nerd culture like no they're the actual ones that are not accepted in our society these days and they don't dress like they're supposed to dress and they don't know the social norms and you know all that sort of stuff like that so that they're they're struggling with all of that um and one of the things that they that we notice or maybe we don't notice because it's just kind of in the background is they do happen to have a gorgeous gym teacher named Lila. So that kind of fades into the background and um, situations, you know, start occurring as with people that are socially unacceptable. Obviously, they're getting bullied. They're the ones that nobody relies on, even in classes and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, one day after gym, they're getting bullied. And all of a sudden, mysteriously, the bullies just all of a sudden run away in terror. And they're like, what? Okay. And then same thing later on that day, there's a there's a project that nobody can figure out in class. And all of a sudden, they just open up their backpack and there's the solution to that problem. I don't know exactly what that would be, but you know what I mean. So anyway, they're very confused about how these things are happening that's somehow increasing their connection in the school. It does happen to be like alumni weekend. So somehow it ends up that Gary and Wyatt come back 
for uh, an alumni weekend, and I hadn't quite figured out what the exact circumstance of it would be. But one way or the other, the boys end up running into Garrett and Wyatt as alumni, and something comes up where they happen to like snicker about Lisa, or they kind of like because they don't talk about it a whole lot because it's kind of a secret. But they mention something under the breath. The boys kind of press them, and that's where they get the story about Lisa. So. Then, as the, sh- the movie's continuing, they start piecing together some of the things about, like, it does seem a little weird that we have such a drop-dead gorgeous gym teacher. And then, eventually, through, like, confrontation or whatever the specific scenario would be, they figure out that Lila actually is Lisa, but that she, every 15 years or so, quote-unquote, retires, changes what she looks like, and comes back and gets rehired. So she's actually been working at this school as the gym teacher, helping out lost causes ever since ever since Gary and Wyatt. So um, figures out that, like, picked on these two in particular, that they feel like they don't have anything to offer, that they don't have any self-worth, that that, not just that other people believe that, but they believe that about themselves, which is why she wants to prove that to them. That that's not who they are, that they are actually of value, So she comes up with this scheme that I'll prove it to you because Lem, I'm going to make you homecoming king and Charles, you're going to be the, I don't know, hero of the homecoming dance or something like that, which they don't believe. But then, of course, she engineers all of these sort of situations where they're kind of thrust into, I hadn't sculpted out the specific things that would happen, but something along the lines where they save the football team, you know, not like literally from death. And then they're the ones that actually build like an amazing float for home coming and they're the ones that the ruffians from another school come to mess up the decorations they're the ones that you know scare them off and then organize the dance and so sure enough it it does happen exactly as they are but i would see some sort of a picture of like sharing the recognition so that it's because a homecoming king is kind of a bigger deal obviously but it was something where yeah lem kind of brings charles along and my focus was rather than it just be your validation will come if you get girlfriends. I want it to be more like the validation is being accepted by the, the school. All right. Very nice. Colin, I know you had a concept or two to throw our way. Yes, I did. So I, I was thinking about this and a couple things came up in my mind. And one was that they already did a TV series that kind of like took place immediately after. Well, that's been done. And I also thought of the idea of, oh, well, they could grow up and it's their kids, you know, like we just said, or they have to make another woman or they make a man. It's a man, man. It's a man, baby. Uh, But I don't know why my brain went here. But like, I imagined that Lisa would have continued in her life. Like they didn't kill her off and she didn't go back to computer world. So she kept going and she was the gym teacher. And I think like she got better jobs jobs and i was thinking that like we would do this like time lapse would show her like kind of just rising up in the world and she would become like the ceo of her own like tech company and she'd bring new technology and stuff so we would have like the awesome cyberpunk future with cyborg people walking around so then it turns into blade runner right and so i would imagine which one was the one with the computer was it gary or wyatt wyatt this takes place when they both have grown very old and wyatt and gary aren't really in touch anymore they're old men they didn't stay friends forever and so gary went on with his family you know they're still doing their thing and while Wyatt had a family and everything, but, you know, I was believing that his wife would be taken from him or he would be left alone. 
at some point as an old man. So we're in this kind of almost utopian future. He's an old man. There's all this technology and stuff like that. But he's sad and he's alone and he has a family, but he's not that close with them. And one day something reminds him of Lisa and he goes into his garage and digs out his old computer and just, you know, a, a spur of the moment. He doesn't think anything of it. He's just old and looking for something to do. And when he brings Lisa back into his life, she becomes almost like a caretaker for him. But like there would be funny things, too. Like he'd basically go out with her like she's his girlfriend and she would be a friend to him again. And rather than escort him into his adulthood, would be escorting him out and like basically living the last years of his life with him as like like his personal friend and they'd get into trouble together you know maybe it could come up that he gets to meet the real lisa as the ceo because obviously she wouldn't have her face plastered everywhere she she's like incognito there would yes be two lisas but like i just imagined this whole friendship as an elderly man kind of a thing and he uses weird science to kind of enjoy the last days of his life with the, with the friend that he missed so much sort of a thing so i made sad science is what i mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like the bucket list meets Highlander 2. I don't know what, what I'm watching the, here, but wow. It's the best of both worlds. Um, I don't know why. That was the only story that came into my mind, and I'm like, this isn't funny, but it's a story. It's, it's so, fascinating, it's, though. It's yeah. not funny at all. Well, that's, that's great, yes. Initially, I took to heart what had been reported about, okay, we'll gender swap it, and we'll reboot it, and it'll be told of the modern day. It's going to be this whole commentary on the Me Too movement and these women are going to be empowered and all this stuff. And I'm like, I am not allowed to write that movie. I, I have no frame of reference <laughs> to speak from. And I had it all written out. And I'm just like, this is also not entertaining. This is not fun. This is just like some type of political statement I'm making through weird science. And I'm like, I need to, you know, stick closer to home. I, I need to do this Adam style. So in that vein, I bring you Weird Science 2 deadly chemistry taking place four years after the original film we see that lisa is getting bored with playing magical life coach to the lovable losers of Shermer, illinois as a result she seeks out wyatt who has just graduated from college and asks him to create a mate for her a la the bride of frankenstein wyatt initially resists having lost love of his life to the pursuit of his career in computer science and feeling down on himself but after Lisa playfully torments him with a series of wild pranks like turning his waterbed to a giant jello mold and changing his resume for a job interview into a centerfold featuring Wyatt naked except for a large floppy disk covering his unmentionables, he relents. Wyatt asks Lisa what she's looking for in an ideal man. Putting herself next to Chuck Woolery on an episode of the Love Connection game show on TV, she explains, The charm of Tom Selleck, a body like Dolph Lundgren, the puckish wit of Bill Murray, and the braids of Stephen Hawking. Is that too much to ask? Reenacting the creation scene from the first film, this time with Lisa questioning why she has to wear a jock strap on her head, Wyatt echoes Gary's line of, It's ceremonial. Hooking up a bootleg He-Man action figure to the electrodes and feeding all the data into the computer, they await the arrival of Lisa's dream lover, who emerges in the form of, you guessed it, Joe Piscopo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
It's been too long. Lisa attempts to name him Thomas, but the arrogant tough guy prefers to go by Louie. The first sign that perhaps this is not a match made in computer heaven. Especially when they realize the wires got crossed during the process, resulting in this adverse personality. Still, Lisa decides to give her chance at love a go. Lisa and Louie go on a date, but when the waiter takes too long bringing them a beer, Louie has him chased through the restaurant by a pack of wolves. He then performs a Frank Sinatra song that has the girls all over him, making Lisa jealous. She reminds him that he was created as the yin to her yang, to which Louie responds, Yeah? Well, my yang likes to let it hang, if you know what I mean. As he makes a convertible sports car appear and takes <laughs> off into the night with a few attractive waitresses. Uh, not only is Lisa lonely in love, but now the Adam to her Eve is bringing chaos by setting himself up as the king of the city, ordering the Chicago Bears to play in scrimmage football games against actual bears. And getting laughs by officially dubbing Chicago as the Breaking Windy City. When Lisa attempts to confront Louie and takes on a Terminator-style garb to battle him, she finds that her powers are being absorbed by Louie along with her life essence. Apparently, two beings of their nature cannot exist in the same plane of reality. In fact, the existence of the two is also causing strange occurrences, like the Ramones to randomly be transported to the 50th wedding anniversary party for Wyatt's grandparents, or <laughs> ice cream cones spontaneously combusting into pillars of fire in people's hands. And so, the race is on to end the madness. Can Wyatt figure out how to end Louie's ridiculous reign of terror and save Lisa before the world as we know it ceases to exist? It's high stakes and high larity in Weird Science 2. Deadly chemistry. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Told you, I like that Kelly LeBrock. I need to give her a star vehicle. Yeah. And also, obviously no mention of Gary or Anthony Michael Hall. I just figured he would turn it down. <laughs> but you could get the Ramones. <laughs> Well, yeah, the Ramones, they were ready to be in anything, I'll tell you, man. They're waiting for the call, especially in 89. Yeah. <laughs> oh, All right, man. Jeremy, what do you got? All right, Weird Science Returns. The year is 2011, and Wyatt is now teaching at the local university in the computer science division. Uh, three loner nerds in his class, Abigail, Sophia, and Nicholas, played by Dove Cameron, Bailey Madison, and Cody Schmidt McPhee. And as winter break arrives, they invite Professor Wyatt to their nerdy Christmas party. Definitely not a rager by any means. After getting a few drinks into him, Professor Wyatt spills the secret from years ago that he and his friend Gary had created a woman out of a Barbie doll and their ancient computer tech in the 80s. This sparks an idea with our protagonist nerds, and once the classmates leave for break, they set out to use the school's power source and equipment in order to make their own AI partner, much like the first in order to have lots of verbal practice with ladies and guys before everyone returns for the spring. They hack the brand new Siri AI, load it with a backlog of MSN and AOL chat rooms and message boards in order to fill it with <laughs> lingo of the day, then sprinkling in a touch of IBM's Watson and wouldn't you know it, lightning strikes again as they hit enter. Out of the smoke and debris steps a man and a woman, played by Halston Sage and Dylan O'Brien, practically stepping off the desktop background of the main computer they used from a fictional action flick. Typical hijinks ensue, a love triangle develops between two of our nerds, but also adding in some LGBTQ-ness in there. Then they all... I didn't have an ending... <laughs> 
then they all explode. Oh. I, I didn't either. I, I mean, like my ending is he dies and it's sad. And it ends up and like, Definitely not sad science. Oh, that's magnificent. Again, it's a hard project to make a direct sequel to. It's like, well, continued hijinks. Or some kind of ending to it all. It goes either way. Oh, uh, well, since I didn't have an ending, let's roll to the votes and see which pitch <laughs> will come out on top. Adam? Oh, boy. Man, the choices are varied. <laughs> yeah, so we got Jeff's story, which is, yeah, a, a very solid continuation. I think that it makes sense, but it feels, yeah, like the TV movie version of it, right? Where it's kind of like, okay, well, you just do the same story over again, except it's not about girls. And as a former homecoming king who was previously a fat nerd, I definitely can relate to that story. I didn't have any help from a magic computer fairy, but sad science is really tempting. I'll tell you, what are, what are the no. old man hijinks they're going to get into, you know? Oh, bad grandpa, you know, with weird science yeah. or something. <laughs> But Jeremy's is the one that feels like it's the most likely outcome, right? If they're going to reboot it, you know, you just introduce the concept through a past cast member. And then, yeah, you just kind of got to flesh it out to what does that mean in the modern day? So I think I'm going to vote for Jeremy. Score one for me. All right. So for me, I'm going with sad science. Like, I, I want to see... <laughs> I'm even thinking, I don't, do you guys know what uh, Schenectady, <laughs> New York is by Charlie Kaufman? Do about not. a guy slowly slipping I, into, like... Dementia? Yeah, dementia? yeah, yeah. That's what I'm picturing oh, here, wow. so... Oh, I missed my chance. <laughs> no, really, I wanted to make a, a stupid crack about, like, oh, it's the future, and Lisa's the CEO of her own company, and you see cryptic things on the street, like people wearing masks and announcements saying, remember to stay six feet away from each other, and please <laughs> no. stay indoors at all times. It's a terrible dystopian future that I hope we never, ever see. Uh, yeah, definitely sad science. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Quarantine science. Quarantine science. <laughs> it's, it's not All fun. right, Colin, where does your vote fall? Well, frankly, Jeremy, like I, I'm not going to go too much into it, but yours does make a lot of sense in a way that I feel like you could really use this story to reach audiences that it wasn't ever intended for to begin with. And I think having the rainbow of sexuality element in the movie, I think is actually would be a really smart and would actually reach a lot of people. Right. It wouldn't be hitting you over the head. It's it's <laughs> it's it's part of the organic story yes. and just letting it unfold rather than making this a characteristic of them from the start and that's right. all you know of the character. Right. Yeah, and like that's that's what I was adding to it. It's a perfect springboard to to talk about all kinds of subjects because you're talking about creating a human being so what goes into that what's a perfect man what's a perfect woman you know you could really it could actually be a pretty deep subject it could be a pretty deep movie right and having them create two different people definitely adds so we've got our three main characters plus the two ai people just to play off well, now, Jeremy, were you going to vote for Sad Science? I mean, is this a face-off between uh, no, the two no. concepts? I was going to vote Adam just so that we didn't have a face-off. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going with Jeremy's concept then. So the ways that we're seeing the the unique 
form that this story takes is so now they're creating not one but two artificial creatures out of the computer but i think it's awesome yeah definitely the the choices you made in our current technology that could be used to assemble that type of intelligence into human form that made a lot of sense so again you didn't address what happened to gary did you no i didn't touch that I had no idea what Gary was going to be doing in the future, but likely Wyatt would still be working around computers, and this would be a perfect way to get him in. Yeah, by the way, do you guys know that that actor, when he left acting, he got his doctorate or whatever in medieval history? <laughs> what? He, he's a college professor and published writer on medieval... Yeah, <laughs> the, the, I mean, he was an actual nerd and just went with this. And yeah, and so like he he's been published he's like an authority on medieval times as represented in media as well as medieval chivalry is his wow, speciality wow. <laughs> which i was like wow that, that actually kind of fits i don't know if there's a way to work that in i'm i'm sure we can work that in yeah <laughs> and, and maybe that's part of like the discussions that they're having I'm, I'm assuming like the computer science course that he's teaching would deal with some ethics and ai and at least touch on that. Yeah, it feels like they should all be LARPers. Like, they're all in a group. Because wow. nobody talks about LARPing anymore. What happened? <laughs> that used to be the geeky thing everybody made fun of, like, ten years ago. Not anymore. Well, I mean, I did set it in 2011, so that would put it right about when LARPing was a thing. Yeah. So I just feel like that, <laughs> that that's just an element that you put in there. It's just like, again, just one more thing that can make them outcasts. So maybe their Christmas party is a... D and D game where they're yeah. LARPing. It's um, a medieval Christmas themed party. It's a medieval yes. Christmas themed costume. Why, that's why they invite the professor to join them. Well, I think that has to work into the names that they give. So it's like Guinevere is the name of the woman, you know, and then right. Lance is the name of the guy for Lancelot. You <laughs> know, you works. just gotta go Guinevere and Lance. But I want to throw out my casting idea for the female creation in my mind because when I see Kelly LeBrock, I see Gillian Jacobs from Community. I just feel like there is a similarity in their look, but also just the attitude. And I feel like she, in this particular story, the way we're presenting it, I feel like Britta on Community was much more ridiculous in her, uh, you know, socially aware nature. Yes. But but I feel like we could have that be a little, maybe a little bit heightened or a little bit comedic, but still, I feel like she would be a, a nice choice for that. It was just an idea, because I didn't recognize the names of the actor and actress that you had presented. They've been in a lot of things. I was trying to go not too old because we don't need to have that whole Kelly LeBrock looks 40 <laughs> or 45. Well, that's um, the same problem you run into with Gillian Jacobs is that, is that she's, she's 37, 37 years old. Yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, she does like that was the nice thing about community is that I think she does. She can skew younger. Is it? She looks like she could, could be right. in, but it's like, I don't know. And I mean, of course, Community was, what, 10, 15 years ago? So yeah. I, I don't know if she can pull off. Because, again, I never bought that Lisa was 23. Like, no, she was far <laughs> older, and that was the thing. It was an older woman. That was the, the vibe. So I, I don't know if you want to have that same vibe or if you want someone who's more in their 20s. Well, look up Halston Sage. She has done a lot more with TV and things. She was – shoot, who's that? Who's the X-Men, the – 
the the seventy sparkler. What's her name? Dazzler. Dazzler. She was Dazzler. She was Dazzler. <laughs> yeah, she was Dazzler was in, in in Dark, Dark Phoenix, Phoenix, which I hated. I hated yeah. Dark Phoenix. Right, uh, most of us well, did. She's on the Orville. That's probably her big one. Yes, right? that yeah. is the big one. Yeah. But like, it's funny you point that out because in that scene, I was probably the the one person on Earth that went, "Hey, it's Dazzler! They put Dazzler in <laughs> That's pretty cool." They, yeah. they well, and I, I guess the discussion comes down to the role, you know, this Adam and Eve type characters. What are they going to do? Again, they are programmed, so they are coming out in a similar fashion to Lisa. This is not innocence coming into our world and being taught how to exist in our world, right? Like, they are very much the sage, wise, cool characters that are teaching the nerds how to be more be more socially acceptable. Yes, because both characters that would be coming out of the, the screen would be from an action movie. So they'd kind of have that personality, but be filled with all of this chat room and message board lingo rather than the movie lingo one-liners. And and basically the, the whole role is to get them out of their shells, these nerds, to, I guess, express themselves and be personable. Yeah, because I guess what I'm trying to imagine in my brain is, aside from just their own awkwardness, is there a goal they're either working towards as a group or are we focusing on individual? desires for each of them like i'm trying to think like are we focusing more on one and then there's other members of the group that are kind of around them that benefit from the interaction as well because because i i i feel like the story needs a little bit more focus in that regard because we want to be able to build up yeah like some of the wackiness and the craziness around it yeah that that would be my one question is okay so are we going to take one particular character and say okay this is their main issue and everybody else kind of gets to, to feel uplifted as well or do you think we can do it as a full ensemble piece i would say the focus would be on our three and then we can have the i guess the entourage of other nerds that they're dnding with also kind of helped out or at least these three can be educated enough to help the rest. And potentially we're also dealing with, I mean, I, I put them in college for a reason. You can have sorority hazing, fraternities, pledging, all that, all that college stuff added so in So it's like there. Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> meets weird science is what in you're way, saying. Yeah. But are they all like assigned to a project together? And so they're trying. Nope. It's just winter break. So it's, it's okay. kind of open to them. And this is, their winter project to better themselves to come back and kick some butt come the spring all right what i'm trying to imagine right now are some of the set pieces you know what i'm saying so it's like okay so you have guinevere we got lance what is the main thing that they're trying to convince these characters of and so i'm trying to imagine like okay (laughs) yeah but i mean like in what scenario then do you build that for them you know and so i'm trying to think of in our modern era where do you want to put somebody what is a scenario where it says, okay, you know, that's not social media based, you know, that's not a very exciting film. You know, if you just take it about your pictures and posting them on Instagram and be like, now people like you. It's like, right. Because yeah. <laughs> what I'm thinking is if we have the medieval interest there, they LARP, they go to Renaissance fairs, they do whatever. If there is some romantic interest for one of the three and they use medieval chivalry mixed with the modern day vocabulary, 
vocabulary and all the other you know messages that have been programmed into our super characters that it kind of builds okay you know now there's going to be you know a romantic medieval style dance you know what i'm saying so and then it breaks into uh, you know like how this horse get here now we're horse dancing i don't know if you guys have seen the movie rad where there's bike dancing but i think like no. you get some horse <laughs> dancing in this so maybe they are going back home during this break towards the end for a big renaissance fair but what i'm saying is they gotta convince either like the cool girl or the cool guy who's not interested in them that this is actually not as nerdy and terrible as you thought they're, they're not as ashamed of it by the end although i would think when you're in that community you're not super ashamed of it you know what i'm saying but it's just not working for you so that's always the fine line right especially in, in today's day and age where it's like everything is so segmented it's like well you could be awesome in your little online community and then like your neighbors they could care less right so yeah it's it, it's it's interesting world we live in now to where it's like okay mass popularity mass acceptance or just self-confidence in who you are right because the 80s was about no no you fit into the norm and you become awesome right you're not a nerd anymore because you took off your glasses you know right. like we don't live in that world anymore so how do we update that concept yeah because cool. there needs to be a solid conflict jeff there yes there does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i thought the main conflict was going to be the love triangle but that's more of a subplot uh definitely could be i mean we can evolve that so that we do have the two main nerds that are kind of going love triangle and maybe by the end they ask each other out rather than the ai like with the love triangle they show up they've been created and you're like great you're my girlfriend now nah, no thanks what and yeah. they like reject <laughs> them so they actually have to like compete or woo or something them so that's where you can kind of get the love like that could be the the source of of conflict is they have to like compete for them right i wonder if that's problematic or not but i guess if there's a guy and a girl that it's not as big a deal and what if they program them that way you know it is like a fun competition for them because they figured they need to simulate the actual wooing tried to become the type of person somebody would want to date. So the AI they create are not like ideally programmed for their personality types and that is kind of the game is like they're working at it not in competition necessarily with each other but to just say can we each accomplish what we want to become and and then have somebody of this nature of this stature of this intelligence of this whatever you know this beauty if you want to say that to become interested in me right i I was thinking less on the programming because that can be problematic that we're basically creating love slaves but I'd say they're purposely not programming right. them to be love slaves. Yeah. Right. So the program, the quote unquote programming would come from all of the message boards and chat rooms that they just threw all together. And that's how they learned personality and talking and everything. And there has to be a gag where you have like a YouTube comment section accidentally gets in there. Like, okay, oh, okay, yes. we got to take yes. that one out. Take that one right. out. Well, but that's what I was going to say is that, man, if you combine a bunch of chat rooms and message boards, these are going to be the most like angry and evil. Also do chat rooms and message boards exist anymore? Why are we talking about that? It's 2011. So they would have been right at the end of their heyday. And before any of this, like YouTube chats or 
no, you, comment you'd board need to roll start. it back. <laughs> you need to roll right. it back a few more years. Maybe 2005. Yeah. 2011, it, it works because of the timeline with AI. Like, it was just getting to the point to where you could do something like this. Oh, yeah. And, no, totally. And it was the end of, like, the MySpaces and things. So there would be a backlog of that on the Internet available to scrape and to input as data for your whatever program, the AI. And how far into fantasy are we going with this then, Jeremy? Because it sounds like you're proposing it as plausible on some level, just a little yes. bit more advanced in science. So we're not saying that they could literally make a car appear and disappear. They could change somebody into a mutant pile of poo. Like, we're not uh, doing that. Yeah, we're not quite going that far, but they do have some powers. I wouldn't say that they're the, the magic genie godmother that was in the TV show or in the previous movie, her power set would be defined differently or their power set would be. And then the other thought that I had was just to have a Kelly LeBrock cameo, because like we're saying, Guinevere and Lance are not doing everything with each member of the three or their surrounding group, right? It's like they're, it's not like they're instantly connected. So I feel like at some point it would be very interesting to have the two of them meet lisa you know like so there is like maybe like a quick reunion with wyatt and then they get a conversation with her that kind of maybe directs them towards the more altruistic side of like look these people need your help and you have the ability to make their lives so much better if you you know if you're there for them and if you help them accomplish their goals maybe not in the ways that they anticipated you know so she just gives them like a little kind of pep talk right so that could be something to where halfway through the film like they reach out to professor wyatt and kind of reveal what they did or he's been called in to inspect the damage that's been caused and that's when he finds out and gets lisa involved that type of thing so then I guess the last question I have is, is there going to be some sort of conflict for our AI? Because it feels like that could differentiate it from the original, again, in the more so that, like, are they wanting to experience the world in their own way? Because, again, we're saying they're they're intelligent, they've been connected to the World Wide Web in such a way that they know all the possibilities out there. So are they kind of having goals of their own that the, the three have to... To either redirect or accept that well we did this and then it becomes a little bit of a commentary on ai and like what are the ethics of that like you said earlier well that's what i was gonna bring up is once you tangent to the isaac asimov blade runner side of the story it turns into a whole different yeah and you right. can get bogged down in that quite a bit with the whole right. oh, am i alive do i have emotions do robots dream of electric sheep sort of a thing yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's okay that we could touch on it again as media. I, I don't think it's completely worn out, but I do feel like it takes away from the comedy element of the movie that you're trying to, to make if it turns into, oh, but are they alive? Are they conscious? It, it, I almost feel like you would need to avoid that entirely. It almost feels like we have to scrap this whole movie. <laughs> 
we're so close to these things where it's like, wow, you really, you can't do this again. Yeah. You can't bring it back. Like, it's crazy to me because, yeah, it gets so serious. Our brains have evolved in such a way as a society where we think about things so differently. It's like even like the genie in Aladdin when Will Smith is playing him in the live action one. Like, oh, he gets married at the end and he has a ship and he's got kids. <laughs> Spoiler! Well, sorry. <laughs> it's been like three years, bro! The issue would be at the end of this movie, if they were going to stick around in the quote-unquote real world, maybe maybe they have an expiration date. Like, they're going to expire by the end of the break because they they are modeled after real people, real actors in the real world, so they would have to change forms in order to continue on living. And I totally forgot that angle. See, that's what's going to lead to the comedy right there, because right. they are based on existing celebrities. So, of course, they're going to get mistaken. They're going to get pulled into cooler circles. So then the three nerds are chasing after them into that world. I can see that, too. Yeah. Right. And there just has to be a lot of, like, near misses. The actual actors very much, you know, in the style of Back to the Future Part 2. Right. And so, yeah, that, that's okay. So that that's something definitely that could be worked with then uh but again i feel like in that case you do need to find more recognizable actors more known icons maybe not like super old you know established legendary well, actors okay but you're not gonna get Haley steinfeld for this you're not gonna get tom holland so i mean plausible actors and actresses i've got them i mean we're not gonna get 200 million to make this movie like this might be a, a 50 million dollar budget Maybe a 75. I mean, also in the movie environment that we're looking into, uh, we don't know. So you don't think we could get Taylor What's-His-Face from Twilight in this? What's he doing these days? Taylor Lautner. I, a... I thought about him. <laughs> and basically, Dylan O'Brien is the discount Taylor Lautner right now. Um, <laughs> the, the younger discount one at the moment. Um, oh, he's, yeah. he's like the lead guy in the Maze Runner movies. Ah, yes. Okay. okay. What about just comedians instead of a young, attractive actor? Like, what about comedic actors as the as Well, the, I, uh... I thought about going that way, but, like, obviously, if you try to go too funny... Then you slide into, like, the, the Rebel Wilson area, and I know Adam would love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't... I don't know. I don't know about like Kristen Wiig, Rebel Wilson, but like like a comedic, like a character actor, but, not necessarily. But then again, comedian. you've got looking younger on the comedian side. You're hitting mid thirties on the majority of them that are yeah. recognizable or noticeable. I even thought like Amy Schumer at one point, and I was like, she's also almost forty. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of toss ups, and basically, this movie isn't aimed at the older crowd like us. No, this would be aimed at the younger crowd and you'd have to go with younger actors like there would be the nostalgia for us by bringing in the connections and continuing and seeing if we could continue it. But it has to be made for the younger generation. I suppose so. <laughs> you must concede on this, Adam. This is the only yeah. way we're getting it made. <laughs> and that's the thing. This movie was it came out you know, 85. I was one. And so I'm not even technically the generation for this movie. It's like the right. generation above me. So, you know, when people were teens in the 80s, 
And I don't even know how old those people are. They're like <laughs> dinosaurs. Generation Xers, basically. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. But what about like uh what about like a Miley Cyrus? You know, she had the acting and the Again, singing and she's got she's, an edge. She's in her early to mid thirties. What? No way. I'd be shocked. She's been around for a long time, but she's not that old. Let's oh, see here. What's How her old name? is she? She was born in 1992, so she's 27. We can make that work. She, she's not the icon that you're going to want in this movie. No, no, I agree. <laughs> Perhaps not. What about Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> <laughs> she's done it. She's played this role before, well, at least like from the AI perspective. Yeah, she did. Hasn't I haven't seen her. Movie. Was that a good movie? Was that good? I, I missed that one where she's the... It depends robot. on your your flavor of movie, really, with that one. Okay, so. savory, a little salty, <laughs> risque, risque. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay, as long as there is a, a medieval horse dancing scene at one point, uh, I think we have our trailer. <laughs> I think we larping's back. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I think that would work well with just a random medieval element to it that is sl- a slightly meta joke. I think yes. will be a lot of fun. But I think we do have to have an end credit scene with anthony michael hall back as gary and we find out where he went <laughs> why was he not in this movie what happened to gary so i think we just if we if we could end strong on that people will be talking about that stinger and it'll be like a funny or die sketch to everybody it'll go viral to be like oh yeah anthony michael hall we'll we'll have him do a, a ferris bueller kind of send off Something along those lines. So I'm trying to imagine what was Gary's journey after all of this, you know, because it seemed like, yeah, he didn't have any particular skill set or dreams to follow. You know, he just wanted to get a girlfriend. So, like, I, I mean, I almost imagine that he is just like a guy at a bar telling the story it's like then we made this girl on my computer and there's got to be just like somebody there who's like uh and and that was actually i was trying to think of another type of meta thing like is there a similar film to this or a similar TV show or something where there was a character that was created from technology that, like, if you got that actress next to him at the bar where he's trying to tell the story or or that actor next to him at the bar and he's telling that to them and they're like, ha, ha, that's crazy. And everybody's like, oh, I get the joke. I get the <laughs> joke. Like, I was going to say Robert Picardo from <laughs> Star Trek wow. Voyager, but I don't think that is quite what we're going to, it doesn't work. <laughs> Well, I was thinking Simone with uh, Al Pacino. Oh, uh, yeah. Although she's not actually an AI. She's just like a hologram or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I was, is, is that a big enough movie that people would nope. know that? No. Yeah, that's I mean, other than it's say. Al Pacino, so yeah. like, you get a big name in it. This is another one that I guess is probably not big enough, but if we got Alicia Vikander from Ex Machina... Like, that sort of makes it... I don't think anybody would get that one either. And she's the, she's the biggest name in your entire movie now. So. <laughs> well, Alicia Vikander and uh, Haley Joe Osment. Oh, oh yes. yeah. There you go. Sitting Haley at the bar. Joe Osment is the guy. He's the guy that's sitting at the bar. He's definitely in that vein. He's done Future Man. He's done, you know, The Boys. He would be in on that kind of joke. That would be great. Yes. So Anthony Michael Hall talking to Haley Joel Osment at the bar, telling him the stories. Like, that's crazy, man. Oh, unless, again, unless there was anybody else that has played a genie. Because that's the only other thing, is in your story, they're AI. I guess.
guess technically that Lisa is AI, but she always seemed more mystical than yeah, technological. Yeah, there was more of a mystical element to her. A Barbie doll that got brought to life. They didn't build her piece by piece. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, I mean, I think it almost comes to that decision is maybe you can't make this movie. And that, and it, we, we, we don't come to that decision very often, but it, it sounds like it's such a different society nowadays that weird science is a relic entertaining for its time but does it belong in the modern age we shall see if they ever attempt it again but uh colin thank you so much for coming back around this time of course i had a good time i still think sad science is an art house film waiting to be made so give it time wait just wait (laughs) it's gonna be so sad Oh, and uh, yeah, so we thank everybody for listening. Of course, thanks to the Retro Network for keeping Sequel Quest alive, giving us a, a new home for a full year now. So happy oh, first cool. one year anniversary to the Retro Network. Still going strong and growing every day. We look forward to joining you again when we can bring you yet another sequel, prequel, or reboot. And remember, if you want to participate, reach out to us on social media at SQPod, send us an email, Sequel Quest pod at gmail.com tell us the movie you want to talk about we'll be happy to have you on here all you gotta do is have a mic be ready to chat with us so until next time So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Science. Science. We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.